Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Welcome to the Trican Well Service Fourth Quarter 2021 Earnings Results Conference Call and Webcast. As a reminder, this conference call is being recorded. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Mr. Brad Fedora, President and Chief Executive Officer of Trican Well Service. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. I'd like to thank you for attending the Trican. Uh, conference call. With me today is Scott Matson, our CFO, Todd Tui, our Chief Operating Officer, Chikon Wakeway, our VP Legal, and Daniel Wapashinsky, our VP plan, uh, Planning and Analysis. A brief outline of how we conduct the call, on how we plan on conducting the calls. First, Scott will give an overview of the quarterly results. I will then address issues pertaining to the current operating conditions and near-term outlook. And then we'll take questions at the end. Uh, I'd now like to turn over the call to Scott to start things off. All right. Thanks, Brad, and good morning, everyone. And uh, before we begin, I'd just like to remind everyone that this conference call may contain forward-looking statements and other information based on current expectations or results for the company. Certain material factors or assumptions that were applied in drawing conclusions or making projections are reflected in the forward-looking information section of our 2021 annual MD&A. A number of business risks and uncertainties could cause actual results to differ materially from these forward-looking statements and our financial outlook. Please refer to our 2021 annual information form in the business risks section of our MD&A for the year-ended December 31st, 2021, for a more complete description of business risks and uncertainties facing TRICAN. These documents are available uh, both on our website and on CDAR. So during the course of this call, we will refer to several common industry terms. We'll use certain non-GAAP measures, and those are more fully described in our annual MD&A as well. And our quarterly and annual results were released after close of market last night. And again, both are available on CDAR and on our website. So with that, I'll give a, a very brief overview of our results for the quarter. Most of my comments will draw comparisons to the to, uh the fourth quarter of last year, but I'll also make some commentary with respect to our results on a sequential basis. Uh, the quarter started off reasonably strong, positive momentum continuing out of Q3. Revenue for the quarter was $156.4 million, which is 52% higher than what we experienced in Q4 of 2020. Uh, activity levels across the board were generally higher year-over-year following improved commodity pricing and significantly stronger general industry environment compared to this time last year. WTI was just over $71 a barrel during the quarter, up slightly from an average of 70 and a half per barrel during Q3, and up significantly from an average of about 42.70 a barrel last year at this time. EcoGas was about 450 in MCF for the quarter, which was also up sequentially from Q3, and again quite a bit stronger than the 252 per MCF we saw in Q4 of last year. So strong commodity prices resulted in an average Western Canadian rig count climbing and averaging approximately 176 rigs during the quarter, moving up slightly from Q3 of 2021 on an average basis, and again quite a bit stronger than what we saw in Q4 of 2020. So those factors led to strong activity levels and combined with continued improvement in the efficiency of our operations and sharp focus on profitability, significant improvements in all key financial categories as compared to Q4 of last year. Fracturing operations were down a bit sequentially from Q3 2021, uh, but were significantly busier as compared to the same period of last year. Activity in the fourth quarter slightly lower than third quarter as our customers exhausted some of their capital budgets, and we saw the usual Christmas slowdown in the second half of December. We maintained six fracturing crews throughout the period, with utilization remaining steady at around 86%. Operations continue to be heavily focused on pad-based locations, which helps minimize both downtime and travel time between our jobs and helps improve our overall efficiencies. Fracturing margins remained reasonably healthy through the quarter and were a significant factor in the strong financial performance as we moved through Q4. Our cementing division remained busy during the quarter 
activity a bit more skewed towards smaller surface level work versus primary cementing work. Um, and our coiled tubing activity was up a bit sequentially driven by first call work for a number of our key and core customers. Inflationary pressures continue to be a major issue across the board. Costs for our key inputs like fuel, cement, chemical, and sand have all seen multiple increases in the past few months, and the pressure doesn't show any signs of abating at this time. Our supply chain team remains and continues to do a great job in staying ahead of and managing these trends, and our focus remains on controlling costs and passing along increases as much as possible to help preserve our margins. So with that, adjusted EBITDA came in at $28 million for the quarter, a significant improvement over the $16.1 million we saw in Q4 of 2020. Again, important to note that our adjusted EBITDA calculation does not add back cash-settled stock-based comp amounts, uh, which were actually a gain of $0.5 million in the quarter. That item typically fluctuates along with movement in the company's share price, which dips slightly at year-end compared to the close of Q3. It also includes expenditures related to fluid end replacements, which totaled $1.3 million in the quarter, which were expensed during the period. The quarter also included approximately $1.1 million from the Canadian Emergency Wage and Rent Subsidy Program, which we expect to be the final contributions that we'll see from these programs. On a consolidated basis, we generated positive earnings of $9.7 million in the quarter, or roughly $0.04 cents per share, and we're very pleased to show positive earnings on a year-to-date basis as we move forward. We generated cash flows from operations of $20.5 million for the quarter, following strong operational performance, uh, offset somewhat by a bit of an increase in our working capital as we move through the end of the year. Capital expenditures for the quarter were $26.2 million, split between our on-capitalized maintenance programs and our ongoing capital refurbishment program. Uh, this is our previously announced program to upgrade a portion of our conventionally powered diesel pumpers with cap tier four dynamic gas blending engines. That brought our full year capital spend in at about $54 million, with approximately $22 million in maintenance and refurbishment capital and $31 million related to our Tier 4 fleet upgrades. Of that $31 million spent in 2021, about 20 of it related to our first Tier 4 fleet, which was completed and in service at the end of the year, and $11 million of that related to our second Tier 4 fleet upgrade, which is expected to be completed and in service mid-2022. Uh, the remainder of that uh, $17 million related to that second spread is expected to flow through in the first half of 2022. So with that, we exited the quarter with about $30 million in cash and cash equivalents, positive working capital of $74.2 million, and no drawn bank debt. With respect to our normal course issuer bid program, we remained active in the market during the fourth quarter and repurchased and canceled approximately 2.2 million shares at an average price of about $3 per share. We continue to view share repurchases as a good long-term investment opportunity for a portion of our capital in the context of returning capital to our shareholders. So with that, I'll turn things back over to Brad, and he'll provide some more comments on our operating conditions and our outlook for the next year. Okay, thanks, Scott. I'm going to provide more general comments than Scott, and, and what you're going to find in my, in my comments of the next few minutes is there's going to be sort of a mix of good and bad, but um, overall, you know, our, the lo- our long-term perspectives on on this industry and certainly in the next couple of years is, is overwhelmingly positive. Uh, we're very excited about what is coming our way in the second half of 2022 and in 2023. So I'll just start by making some general comments. You know, as Scott was saying, Q4 was characterized as front-end loaded with a busy October, November, and then and then we you know we had a, a pretty significant slowdown in in December and. You know, even though we were generally active with our core group of customers, you know, as we're fortunate to have long, long-term active customer base, you know, the, the quarter overall was a little choppy. And you know, what we hadn't planned for in Q4 was that as things slowed down in December, you know, we saw again this complete reversal of pricing, and um, you know, we just refused to go there. And so we had a lot of white space on our board in Q4, and, and we're totally comfortable with that. Um, there's no way we were going to reverse the pricing gains that we had made throughout the year in some desperate attempt to fill in, you know, a few days here and there that, you know, makes absolutely no sense. 
Um, you know, we maintained a good market share in all of our divisions, and we continue to grow our market share in coil, which is really encouraging. Um, you know, on the on the uh, on the cement side, we, we maintain our sort of 35 to 40 percent market share, and our our areas of focus are the Montney and the Deep Basin, and so. Until the rig, you know, it, it, it's tough to really grow our market share beyond that. But as the rig count grows, so will our cement crews. And so we'll just stay focused on providing good service. And, and we're known as the technical leader in that space. And so that will just be a continued uh, growth area for us as well. And so we expect all three of our divisions to grow um, as, as the industry heats up and and, uh, you know, we're not going to say we're going to capture incremental market share because we're only prepared to take on market share that's profitable. Um, so, you know, we're not overly concerned with market share. We're mostly just concerned with rigs or uh, returns. Um, COVID did impact us and continues to impact us, but it's, it's not overly significant. You know, it, it's more what it does to the industry broadly. You know, rigs get shut down. We, we lose the odd cement crew or coil crew or flat crew here and there. Um, our customers are not in the office um, like they should be. Um, and so it just generally interrupts the business in, in, in the oil patch. And, and so it, they're not significant, but they're sort of more annoying and nagging interruptions in, uh, in our day-to-day operations. You know, we continue to see fracks develop. Um, the number of stages per well continues to grow. The amount of sand continues to grow. Um, so generally, the long-term trends for this for this industry are all are all positive. Um, we're very we're very focused on the BC Montney and Deep Basin. Um, we are starting to start seeing our operations expand in in some of the lighter oil plays, um, which we were historically active in, but it had sort of pulled back from. Um, you know, our cement our cementing especially is more active now in southeast Saskatchewan. And we expect activity to improve in all areas. We've got, you know, $4 gas, uh, really high oil prices. I'm not even sure what to call them now, but, you know, they're over 90 anyway. We've got condensate pricing at over 115 Canadian. Um, you know, our, our customers' wells are paying out in, in a matter of months, so that's really encouraging. And, of course, you know, what, what's most important for our industry is that our customers are making money, and that allows us to expand and, and return to profitability. Uh, the number of crews we're running really hasn't changed. Uh, we, in Q4, we ran six rack crews, 17 cement crews, and six coil crews, and that's inched up a little bit. You know, we sort of have six slash seven frac crews today, and we've added a few more coil units as CBM becomes more active again, and cementing kind of fluctuates day to day. But, um, you know, we're generally going to stay fairly um, resistant to adding crews unless um, we get significant pricing improvements. We've done a lot of work in the company for the last few years on, on getting costs down. And so, you know, fortunately, um, you know, we are starting to see operating leverage really kick in as revenues expand, and that will continue to just get better as, as our revenue expands in the second half of this year and next year. Uh, we had decent EBITDA on cash flow in, in Q4, and and sure, we you know it could have been better if we had been prepared to cut prices to 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 fill in white space on our on our dispatch board. But again, you know we don't think long term that's the answer, and and you know we're in a fortunate position where we don't have any debt, we have no balance sheet issues, and so you know we're not in a position where we have to take on work, and so we didn't. Um, we had great free cash flow in 2021, and we expect it's going to get even better uh, this year. You know, overall, I'll now talk about pricing is probably why everybody's dialed in. Uh, you know, overall, the, the pricing environment has been a little frustrating um, in the last three quarters of 2021 and even in, even in Q1 of 2022. You know, we've been, we've been very vocal about the need for price increases throughout 2021, going back almost a year now. And, you know, we're not wavering on that. In fact, you know, given that inflation really hit us hard in Q4, you know, we were waiting, waiting, waiting for it throughout the year, um, and we almost got complacent because it really didn't show up in any, with any significance until the fourth quarter. Um, you know, it's, it's even more urgent now that we get pricing because, you know, we did get, we actually did get reasonable price increases throughout 2021, and our customers were very receptive, you know, to giving us price increases as our costs increased. And, uh, you know, most of our customers were more than willing to work with us. 
but inflation ate it all. Um, and so we really did not gain any net um, price increases at all. Um, you know, we still, even even as recently as, as January, we we're still getting stink bids from some of the competitors in the space, which is odd. Um, but yeah, it, fortunately, that's really subsided, and we really haven't seen any any crazy pricing behavior now for probably a, almost a month. So um, we're just going to continue to work with our customers, inform them as as our as our costs increase. You know, they're they're very inquisitive as to our management of the supply chain, which is which is helpful because you know we're able to communicate with them on a more day to day basis as to how our costs are increasing, and so you know they've been. They, uh, you know, they've actually been quite receptive to, to working with us on getting our getting our prices up. Second half, I think we'll see significant significant price increases in the second half of the year. You know, and part of the part of the issue where we didn't, you know, we've had price increases in Q1. They haven't been as high as I would have thought, and, and it was kind of an odd quarter in that there was lots of drilling activity in the first six weeks of the quarter, but n- not. You know, not the corresponding completions activities that we would have expected given the rig count for our customers at least anyway. And so everything's been, you know, lots of drilling in the first half of the quarter and, and a lot of the completions activities been pushed into the second half. And so it was, we're now going into March, which there's no way we can get all the work done and a lot of that work will get pushed into Q2, which will make for a, make for a good Q2, but it, it really alleviated the pricing pressure in the first half of the quarter. And so what we're seeing is pricing is probably going to remain stable now until June, and then then we'll see significant price increases um, as breakup ends. And so I think, you know, Q3 will, will be the first quarter where we'll actually see margin expansion. And Q3 historically, or I shouldn't say historically, historically Q1 is the busiest quarter of the year. But I think in the last few years it's proven that Q3 is our busiest quarter. And so... You know, as Q3 and Q4 budgets, I think, get expanded, um, we will see, we will finally capture some of the pricing increases that we've been waiting for. So on the supply chain side, this is a never-ending uh, grind. You know, we are very fortunate that our group has done a really good job of this. And you know, whether it's sand, uh, logistics, chemicals, any any input that that's required on the cementing coil or fracturing side needs to be actively managed, and our group is actively working with our suppliers to ensure that we have the products needed, especially in a rising market here in, in 2022 and 2023. And again, as we expected, we experienced lots of inflation and in, throughout our entire supply chain. And uh, in fact, you know, the price increases were, were less than we had expected for the first nine months of 2021 and then actually were more than we expected in the, in the last quarter of the year. And it's, um, there are no exceptions. You know, diesel, which is linked to oil price, third-party trucking, which obviously relies heavily on diesel and labor, you know, those rates have gone up significantly. You know, sand, by the time it gets delivered to, to northwest Alberta, northeast BC, 70% of the cost of sand is, is logistics. In transportation, so of course, you know, diesel costs, labor costs impact that significantly. On the chemical side, you know, m- many of the components that that go into our our, uh, our chemical products come from China and the U.S., and uh, we need to expect delays and increased costs. As, but we're we're always looking for substitutions, and our suppliers are are creative and proactive in making sure we get supply. But we have to expect that there's going to be cost pressures there. And, even things like hotels, you know, with reduced staff count or reduced staff available, um, you know, the hotel costs and efficiencies of uh, the costs have gone up, and and you know, in many cases, the the service availability has gone down because they just can't get the staff. So overall, we expect costs to go up in our industry, just like in just in all parts of the economy, um, you know. And I think Western Canada is is also additionally stressed by the fact that. We, you know, we have a fairly finite labor force, and so, um, you know, we're going to expect sort of cost increases and, and the supply chain limitations for the next 18 months. So outlook for the for the remainder of of the year, I think everybody is, is obviously knows EMP cash flows are at all time highs, and and they're, and wells are paying off in extremely short periods of time. That's great news, right? We've had a 
we've had a we had a good 2021, and we expect that we're going to have a we're going to have a good 2022 and a good 2023. Um, we are going to continue to have sort of COVID interruptions, but nothing too significant. Um, we always have weather. We always have weather events in in uh, in the winter, and, and certainly so far in Q1, that's, there's no exceptions. Um, but you have to plan for those as they happen every year. You know, the basin remains very natural gas focused, and you know, natural gas prices in the strip is is strong. And so, you know, we expect again that the rig count, the rig count will increase as the year unfolds. Um, you know, we're currently at about 230 rigs, and we expect that to go up in, in Q3. And based based on conversations with our clients and equity analysts, you know, we're all they're all telling us that um, budgets are going to slowly creep up as as we go, and as strong commodity prices invariably will eventually lead to increased activity and better and will drive or should drive better margins and earnings growth for Tricam. And you know, we we do know that debt repayment and return to shareholders are a focus for our customers. Um, but balance sheets have been largely repaired, especially with our customer base over the last 18 months. And so we do expect that our clients will start to shift some of this, this free cash flow into the projects that have really good economics and quick paybacks. You know, some of our clients and some of the people working in, in the drilling completion groups have never seen, you know, returns this good in their, at any time in their career. You know, when we talk to the drilling rig contractors, you know, they're, they're backing all this up with, with their expectations that Q3 will be will be busier than Q1 on the rig count. You know, there's currently about 29 frac crews operating in Canada today, and we estimate that we're going to need uh, at least 35 in Q3. And so, if we're starting in March actually, and in Q3. So again, it's you know it's just math at the end of the day, and so we will finally get the net price increases we've been waiting for. And you know, because we're not going to get all of Q1's work done just because it was so back-end loaded, it looks like we're going to have a really good Q2 again this year. Um, you know, last year was our best Q2 ever, and I expect this year will be similar. You know, on the crew side, we get asked a lot, you know, are we going to, act, are we going to continue to activate additional crews? And, and as Scott was saying, we are adding our second-tier four spread, and whether that's an incremental uh, crew add or a replacement crew add, you know, we don't know yet. Um, and we'll see we'll see what happens um, this summer. But generally, we're not going to activate more equipment unless there's a return there. And you know, would we activate it at today's pricing? Probably not. Um, you know, given the difficulty of getting additional labor and uh, in the amount of inflation that we've experienced, I'm not sure pricing today would justify an additional crew add. But you know, we will monitor that on a week-to-week basis, and, and based on the conversations with our customers, we'll make those decisions. You know, it, it, the good news on that is because labor is so tight, we will continue to see labor availability as a very significant bottleneck in crew additions, whether it's in the fracturing industry or the drilling industry. Um, you know, and so I think the industry overall will be sort of operating at its max capacity from a people perspective and you know whether they're disciplined or not probably won't matter because people just won't be able to add equipment like they used to you know it just takes so much time now to get to uh to get additional people and i think you know we've communicated this many times before but we did add crew uh, crew seven on our fracturing division it took over six months to get the people um to add that crew and so we don't expect that's going to change um, going forward. And we do expect labor um, constraints to be alleviated a little bit as, you know, sort of COVID runs its course and people feel comfortable flying from the east to the west and, and they're confident that they're going to make it home for days off. Um, and so once that once people get more comfort with that, you will you will see more people on the move from the east, which we have historically relied on fairly significantly. And so once, you know, once those people come back to work, you know, we'll alleviate some of the labor issues um, we're dealing with. But, you know, in the long term, uh, we expect the labor, labor constraints will be permanent and they'll be more challenging in the future. And, and so we'll need to do better to refine our strategy on how we're going to attract labor to this industry. Um, and this is, you know, an issue for everybody. I just want to highlight before we, before we wrap up that, 
you know, it's about 1.2 million horsepower operating in Canada out of a total fleet of about 1.8 million. So that, of course, leaves sort of 600,000 of excess uh, horsepower that's currently parked, which could eventually come to work, you know, with significant retrofits and people additions. But it's important to note that you know, we control about half of that. You know, we own about half of that park capacity, and, and we will make sure that it's brought back into the industry um, in a disciplined and responsible way. And, and uh, you know, we won't do so without making sure that there's a return there. You know, technology, on the technology and ESG side, um, technology's always been a big driver of efficiencies in the oil patch. So I don't think that's, you know, that's going to change anytime soon. We continue to stay really well informed on all the technological advances that are happening, whether it's engines or pumps or transmissions or, or software packages, um, you know, maintenance programs, et cetera. And we're not married to any, we're completely agnostic. We're not married to any technology. You know, as an example, even though we've adopted the Tier 4 engines, which we're really happy with, you know, we will we will continue to look at all the different options available, and, and uh, we wouldn't hesitate to adopt new technologies. You know, we're fortunate to have the balance sheet to be able to make those moves, um, but we won't do so unless they provide us with a return. I think there's too much discussion in our industry about technology without a corresponding discussion about is it economically viable to implement those technologies and, and you know, hope is not a strategy as we know. And so, you know, the cost of some of the new, especially on the electric side, the cost of some of this great technologies, just, there's just no way to ever get a return on the, on the investment. And so, you know, we'll, we'll make sure that whatever technologies we adopt, um, we're able to get a financial return on them as well. And, and of course, that's what our customers want. You know, they want us to be healthy and in this game for the long term. In, in the, I think in the fall, we released our inaugural 2020 sustainability report. Um, it can be found on our website. And uh, our next report should come out this late in Q2 of this year. And your ESG will be will continue to be a, a focus for TriCan, and and uh, as it is a focus for our customers, you know we're, we're using lots of technology-based initiatives on the E side of it to provide solutions, and uh, but we're also focusing um, significantly on the X and the G side of ESG as well. Um, we've done a great job, especially on the governance side, and you know we continue to pursue initiatives to make sure that we're a good corporate citizen in the communities in which we operate. Um, and we're going to continue to build out on the on the S side as, as the year unfolds. Um, just I'm just going to wrap up with, with the Tier 4 upgrades. Um, I think Scott mentioned it, but you know, generally, generally we've only been running those now for about two months. Um, they arrived in late Q4. Uh, we get our second Tier 4 spread this summer. Um, and again, I want to stress that the equipment will only go to work for premium pricing as it provides cost and operating efficiencies for our customers. Um, but we're extremely pleased with how this equipment has performed in the field. You know, we still have some bugs to work out in the extreme cold, um, but overall the equipment's performing as well or better than expected. Um, you know, the natural gas substitution's been high. This is a trend that we think is going to become a, this, this is going to continue, and this technology will become a standard in, in Canada. I think in the next in the next few years. Um, on the growth and acquisitions, you know, we're we're very our primary focus remains on just getting our existing equipment to work, um, getting our equipment off the fence eventually if we can make it if we can make it profitable. You know, we have a very we have a clean balance sheet. We have a cash balance that provides us whatever the financial flexibility to look at any type of transaction that you know looks attractive, whether it's you know organic growth or M and A growth. And uh, we're always looking for the right deal. But you know, right now um, we we think our best investment is on the NCIB, the share buybacks. You know, we've been active in in the NCIB in the last few years, and I think we're we plan on being more active in the NCIB in the next few months and. You know, we view that as one of our best investment opportunities when you just look at the at the price that we're buying our own horsepower at versus what we would have to pay in the market. And you look at the, the EBITDA multiples of, you know, other oil field services companies that may be available for us to purchase. You know, it's really hard to deviate from this NCID at this point, and, and uh, it's just such a good investment for us. So I think I'll 
stop there. Uh, thank you everyone for, for your interest and your time. Um, why don't I turn this call back to the office? We will now begin the question and answer session. To join the question queue, you may press star, then one on your telephone keypad. You will hear Tone acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your question, please press star, then two. To join the question queue, please press star, then one now. Our first question comes from Cole Pereira of Stiefel. Please go ahead. Hi, uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, so it sounds like activity for Q1 is a little bit more back-end loaded. I mean, I'm just curious. You, you touched on it a little bit, but is it, you know, tri-count specific customer programs? Do you think it's low duck inventories across the basin as well? You know, it sounds like your seventh suite maybe had some white space. Uh, just curious if you got the sense there was much uh, I.O. capacity in the market uh, outside of that from your competitors. No, I don't think there's any idle capacity. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, sequentially, you know, our Q1 is better than our Q4, and it's better than last year's Q1. That's, that's not an issue. I just, you know, given the rate count, I would have expected higher prices. And yeah, you know, there's always white space. Don't there? There always is. And you know, do we have full-time work for our seventh crew? No, no, we don't. Um, not until March. And so. There's always there's always white space, but I think we were a little surprised that we didn't get more pricing pressure, and I, and I think it's just because it you know a lot of the work you know not just with our customers but with other with other customers um, I think a lot of the work a lot of drilling in the first month and a lot of the completions work got pushed to the second half, and so you know anytime breakup is looming there's a hesitation to increase prices. And it's really the only time of year where there's any significant ducks in Canada is, is after Q1. Um, and, and I think that's why we've seen the last few years, you know, Q2 seems to be getting getting almost to be a normal quarter. Um, so it just, you know, the problem with this time of year is, you know, Q1 work gets spread out over six months. Um, you know, they're still drilling in Q2, but it's, it's greatly reduced. But And so that just hasn't... That sort of left the steam out of the kettle on the pricing side. I hope that's what you're asking, Cole. Oh, yeah, that's uh, that's perfect. Um, and I guess you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, but can you talk about Q1 net pricing relative to Q4? I mean, is it slightly better? Is it about the same, or is it worse? No, no, it's uh, – sorry, are you asking – so pricing did go up in, in all of our – divisions on Jan 1, on a net basis, nothing, nothing really changed. Yeah. You know, like the, the inflation just kept on going. Okay, no, that, that's fair. And then, so as you touched on, I mean, you have to make investments in your fleet, uh, working capital. you got $30 million of cash on hand. You touched on the share buyback a little bit, um, but, you know, so some of your peers and a lot of the E&Ps, have committed to a set percentage of free cash flow that they're returning to shareholders. I mean, do you think that's something we could see from Tricam here over the next couple months? Uh, it's more informal than that. I mean, we, we definitely have a percentage in mind, um, but it's, you know, given we're in the service industry and our, our cash flows are a little more unpredictable and volatile from quarter to quarter, you know, we don't we don't disclose sort of what that percentage is, and certainly would never be prepared to stick to it. Um, but yeah, generally, you know, we sort of have a dollar amount in mind on a on a monthly basis going forward, and you know that that number will go up and down as as our views on the future change. Okay, perfect. Uh, that's all for me. Thanks. I'll turn it back. Thanks. Our next question comes from Keith McKee of RBC. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning, and thanks for taking my question. Um, you mentioned that customers are, are keen to secure equipment for, for the second half of the year. And um, so can we just um, maybe think about how that has impacted or not the, uh, the amount of contracting you've been able to do for your you know, forecast second uh, second tier four DGB fleet that you expect to come in in the summer. 
there's not really much I can say about that. Um, all I can really tell you is that the equipment will go to work for premium prices. Got it. Got it. Fair enough. And on the on the two fleets you've got, you know, um, in 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 flight and and in progress, uh, it looks like you've kind of been able to upgrade those at about five hundred and seventy dollars a horsepower. How close would subsequent fleets be to that same efficiency, given some of the equipment you've got on the fence? And maybe can you yeah, sort of talk about your appetite to do that? The pricing goes up every time you dig deeper into the inventory just because the you know the equipment's not in great shape or you might need a pump replacement or a transmission replacement versus an upgrade. You know, and it's it's probably more segmented than that. It's more like we need a complete fluid uh, power end replacement versus an upgrade or so yeah, make your your instincts are absolutely correct. The deeper you go into the inventory the higher the prices go but you know, at this stage, you know, the percentage change, if we were to do the next set, well, you know, probably 10%, 10% more. Got it. Got it. Okay. And as far as that sort of next generation type equipment, uh, I saw one announcement from a, from a competitor on that. Have you seen, have you had any other, um, I would say competition for this type of equipment in, in tenders or, or as you've been negotiating your 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 contract, I think if you're asking is there what's the interest level? Is, is the interest level is very high for for the tier four equipment, right? And 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 there's still is there any I guess outside competition for tier four equipment that you've been say bidding against, or is it really oh. just been you deciding how much to release this equipment for? Sure. Yeah, there's, there's, you know, there's talk of, you know, the, the one of the U.S. firms bringing it to your fourth spread to Canada, and, you know, lots of empty promises, I think, get made and along those lines. But there's no actual competing equipment on the, on the street at this point, at this point. You know, one of our competitors does have a tier four, a single tier four pumper, uh, but not a, not a fleet. And so, really, our main competition at this stage would be our competing against sort of the tier two, tier two dual fuel fleets that we all have. You know, and, and what we're finding is with the tier four equipment is the the substitution is of course higher, which reduces costs, and the, you know the pumps and the transmissions have been upgraded, and so it's a more powerful and efficient pump. And we're seeing, but what we're seeing is. You know, the engines are they're much more efficient at burning natural gas, and so there's a there's there's almost no methane slip. And with tier two dual fuels, there is methane slip, and so from an emissions perspective, the tier fours are significantly better than the tier twos. Got it. Okay, I'll leave it there. Thanks very much for the car. Thanks. Our next question comes from Joseph Schachter of Schachter Energy Research. Please go ahead. Good morning, guys, and thanks for taking my call. Um, three quick ones for me. Um, first, um, are you seeing um, companies wanting to tie down equipment for long periods of time with pricing adjusting based on market conditions? There's lots of desire for long-term partnerships from an access to equipment perspective, but there's historically we haven't had very much success tying pricing to current operating conditions like or commodity prices and so that's it's not really an avenue we pursue. You know, more what we've been doing is is just explaining to our and our our customers, you know, they've got their own problems, you know, they're not they don't. They don't sit around worrying about us, um, you know. So we're we're doing a better job at just explaining to them just the just the significance of the inflation and the need for there to be a return on invested capital. You know, given the age of the fleet, given that there's 
you know, given the, the, the reliance on fracturing as part of an overall, you know, well construction and the complete lack of investment by our industry in the last seven years just because, the, you know, the money just wasn't there, you know, the, you know, the sophisticated customers, they get it, right? They understand if they want a healthy fracturing industry, prices have to go higher. And, uh, um, you know, luckily, they have, they have the cash flows to absorb those. I mean, you know, our price increases are insignificant in the overall scheme of things. So it, it's, it's more informal than that, you know, and that I'd like to say there's, you know, long-term contracts with, with pricing escalators, but that has never been the case and, and it likely won't be the case anytime soon, you know, other than the odd exception here and there. Okay. And, uh, for example, diesel costs, how often... Um, is there like a monthly adjustment in terms of pricing for some of the big escalation in near-term costs, or is this something that happens um, over more of a quarterly basis? Just to get an idea of, you know, I know you, you mentioned the inflation pressure and versus the pricing pressure. Uh, given the last few weeks, I think, you know, diesel costs have gone up a lot. How quickly do you have to wait before you can pass us through uh, regarding, you know, the pressure on your margins again? Um, well, the, the diesel, like you said, Joseph, the uh, diesel prices do change weekly, if not daily. But um, with our pass-through approach, we've been able to pass it through not immediately, but stay within a 30-day period, 15 to 30-day period, and uh, to our customers. But uh, just to recapture the cost of the fuel inflation. Yep. Okay. And lastly, uh, you mentioned uh, M&A and uh, growth opportunities. Are you looking just in the business lines you're in today, or are you looking at complementary lines? And uh, I know you can't go into specifics, but um, how far, you know, in terms of just general commentary of what business lines uh, might might fit uh, or geographic, um, can, you know, extension of what you're doing right now? Yeah, and I would I mean again. I keep our comments fairly high level. I mean, Brad mentioned we're we're looking at we look at everything. Um, our primary focus is you know does it make sense? Could we change the business and extract this additional return out of it? I mean, we're not going to be looking too far afield other than our core business or something that's fairly easily tangential to it. Um, so yeah, I probably wouldn't go much deeper than that. Okay, super. Thank you very much uh, for answering my question. Much appreciated. Yeah, thank you. Our next question comes from Wakar Saeed of ACB Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Uh, thank you for taking my question. Uh, Scott, I've got a couple of uh, just uh, simple modeling questions. Uh, could you provide some guidance on uh, DDNA, GNA, and uh, tax rate for uh, 2022? Sure. Um, so from a tax perspective, I mean, we're effectively, we've got a significant portion of Canadian pools, so I wouldn't expect kind of anything meaningful from that perspective. Um, from a depreciation perspective, maybe, you know, on an annual basis, probably slightly downwards, right, just as we grind through some of our older equipment. But, you know, we are replacing and upgrading our fleet as we go along, so you'd be down marginally, so I expect it to drop significantly from there. And then GNA, I think, you know, Q4 was probably a bit light, right, just with the amount of Qs, stuff that flowed through there, et cetera. Um, so if you kind of looked at Q3 and Q4, you know, that's probably a decent run rate going forward. So I wouldn't expect a significant change, certainly, to the upside on, on that. Okay. And, uh, Brad, you, you did mention that you expected Q1 uh, revenues to be higher. Um, and then, um, although net pricing did not improve, but you know, overall price, uh, net pricing relatively flat. So, just because of higher revenues, you expect margins to improve. EBITDA margins Q1 versus Q4. Uh, do you, are you talking percentages or absolute? Uh, 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 absolute and both, yeah. Percentages to remain very similar. You know, the dollar amounts will go up, of course, just because of the. Where it was a busier quarter, but percentage percentage margins won't change much. Okay, and then you expect Q2 to be relatively similar to Q2 of last year. Yeah, you know, right now that's certainly our view, and I, I probably should stress that, you know, March, April, May, June, 
that's very, very weather dependent. Um, you know, over that four month span, the you know the the gross amount of work doesn't, or the aggregate amount of work probably doesn't change, but the month in which it may get done certainly can change. You know, and as everybody hopefully knows, we're coming into breakup. So the you know as the winter thaws, you know the roads become you know susceptible to damage with heavy equipment, and so it really slows things down. Um, you know, so any kind of predictions that are on the board even and booked and scheduled can all change with weather. So, Okay. Um, that's all very helpful. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Andrew Bradford of Raymond James. Please go ahead. Good morning, guys. Thanks for taking uh, my call here. Um, for my questions, Bradley. Uh, Outside the, outside the new engines, are are you running any pure purely diesel spreads today? And and do you think that um, your uh, competitors that have sort of the same sort of profile as uh, as yourselves, the ones that we can't maybe see quite as easily? Yeah, we do work. There are, you know, there is a place for for a, a pure diesel spread. And it's you know, costly because diesel is a lot more expensive than natural gas. But from an emissions perspective, you know, tier two diesel engines perform pretty well. Um, so there is, there is, uh, there's always a place for those spreads. You know, on a percentage of total equipment basis, we would have the highest of the, or the lowest, I guess, of the diesel, pure diesel spreads. You know, only two of our spreads today are diesel. Um, and I would think our peers, it's probably a higher percentage than that. Is Just that a function of where you tend to work? Good question. It would be a function of, yeah, where we're working and our ability to, and also our financial ability to invest in the Tier 4 technology and and uh, the tier two dual fuels over the last few years. Okay. Yeah, um, that's a, yeah, that's a well, long way of saying I'm not sure. Yeah. I, okay, that's fair. Uh, but maybe, maybe just on because you know you're you're you say you're half of the parked equipment, um, the serviceable parked equipment in the basin. So then, with the percentage of dual fuel versus diesel in that parked capacity be different than what we're seeing running today? I would expect so. The parked capacity would be, there'd be no dual fuel in the parked capacity today. Okay. So then that kind of brings me to the next question, which is when we talk about bringing capacity off the fence, so to speak, um, the cost of doing, I assume then, that the cost of or the, the producers are probably, from a cost perspective, going to want dual fuel. Isn't that, isn't that a fair assumption? Yeah, I mean, I, the deep operators are going to want tier four. Right. So then the cost because of the to, so then the cost to convert or the cost to actually bring uh, the type of spread that the industry is probably going to want. Um, I'm, you know, I'm coming back to your comment that there are 29 today and you know, the industry might have need for 35. So we're now looking for six spreads of equipment um, that might be mismatched with the type of fuel they burn vis-a-vis what the customer base wants. Is that is, Am I right in thinking this way? Absolutely. Unless we ended up with a really active shallow gas market or something like that. Okay. Which would you and which would you use all the... Then I get, okay, my, my last question then would be, uh, as we start to pull, see some of these spreads come off the fence then, are they naturally going to be, is it your expectation that they're going to be converted to dual fuel and will it be some kind of a tier few, uh, tier two type of conversion or, or how, how would we think about that? We would never, well, Never is maybe too strong. At this stage, knowing what we know today, we would not bring a fleet off the fence without a Tier 4 DGV upgrade. 
and a pump upgrade for that matter. Right? I mean, I we've been talking about this now for a year, and I I, I hope the, the street is starting to understand that the state of this parked equipment is not good. Right? It's it's and and again, you know, like the you know the question before you was. You know, is the, are the upgrades getting more expensive as you go deeper into the inventory? And the answer is yes. So it's you know you know we're spending twenty plus million on a tier four DGB upgrade, which includes you know transmission and, and pumping upgrades as well, or retrofits, or you know significant parts replacements. So when these spreads hit the street, I mean they are the state of the art, three thousand horsepower, heavy duty, you know continuous duty equipment. But the park gear that you're starting with is not that. So, you know, this is, I mean, what you're getting out of course is this is not an exercise in, oh, we'll just sort of spend sort of five or six million dollars and, and then here we've got a spread that can go to work in the Montney. Okay, maybe, but, you know, not the kind of spread we would want to operate. Okay. Uh, maybe, maybe this will be my last question then. That, that being the case, do you think what do you think would be the cost, the least cost? Like, say, say perhaps one of your competitors perhaps didn't have access to a tier four dynamic gas blending engine and wanted to do um, wanted to do something that was relatively cost effective, but also accomplished the goal of getting spread into the market. What do you think that that investment would be on that spread? You have a guess on yeah, that? I'll give you broad numbers because you know obviously I don't know what what's out there with other than our own equipment. But if you just wanted to to get it up and running in its current form, whether it's a tier two diesel or whatever, and you know you're happy with a twenty five hundred horsepower pump, um, you know five to eight. And then you know if you're well, okay, we need pump replacements and we need this, we need that, and it's ten to twelve. And then if you want a tier four DGB setups and it's twenty plus. And again, you know, if you're talking an eight pump spread versus a twelve pump spread, the numbers change. Um, but you know, we're when we think about pulling a spread off the fence, we think in terms of sort of twelve, fourteen pumps. Okay. Thanks. Uh, thanks for taking my question. Thanks. This concludes the question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Mr. Fedora for any closing remarks. Okay, thank you everyone. We appreciate your time. Um, we tried to keep it under an hour. Uh, we are available, the, the management team here at TriCan is available for questions if anybody would like to follow up with us on a one-to-one -one basis. And if not, um, looking forward to our call in a few months. Thank you. concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines. Thank you for participating and have a pleasant day. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.